Hello, I am Richard Hong. I'll be reading the scripture for today. The scripture we are reading is Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I'll be reading from the ESV version, but you are welcome to read from whatever version you are following. So, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when he saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Thank you. This is the reading of God's word. Well, we continue our, in our messages of this series titled, Bless, The Rhythms of Disciple-Making. You can go ahead and throw up the first slide. Learning to share Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. In Jesus Christ, if we're a follower, we are blessed in order to be a blessing to others in the name of Jesus and for His glory. And in response to Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations, then we intentionally view the rhythms of our life as rhythms of disciple-making as well. And today, these rhythms, uh, some of them are begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. And today, we're going to be focusing on eat or eating breakfast lunch or dinner can be times that we are eating with people and listening to people hearing their stories interacting with them some of us eat actually three times a day i'm one of them but i know many of us don't eat three times a day we skip breakfast for whatever reasons uh, some of us like to eat really late at night, you know, dinner, like maybe around 8, 9, 10, 11, who knows. Um, I know we all have different habits of when we eat, but eating is not an event that we have to add to our lives, right? It's a rhythm that we have. Whatever rhythm we have, it is a rhythm of our day. So what if we intentionally ate with others more often? What if we regularly shared a meal with someone who is not yet a believer in Jesus, who hasn't decided to follow him yet? What if we use this meal to be a time 
to be with people and listen to them, to know them better, to hear their hopes and their fears and their dreams and their plans and their concerns. And then looking for a way for us to just share with them the hope we have in Christ Jesus whom we follow. You know, in our text, Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, that Richard just read, Jesus sets this example of eating with people to make disciples. And this is a rhythm that's already there, brothers and sisters, that we can have redeemed to be a rhythm of disciple-making. Sharing a meal together, having a coffee or tea of uh, any kind with somebody else is a way to connect and listen to people. We've all done it. You get together over food or over a drink, and you just talk and share and laugh. We do this to learn about people and for them to learn about us. And every rhythm of life that we're stressing through this series is a rhythm of disciple-making. It's an opportunity to do so so that we can then find somebody who is a person of peace, somebody who might be interested to hear more about Jesus, the Lord whom we follow. So the goal of this series titled Bless is to allow the Holy Spirit of God whom we follow in Christ Jesus to transform our rhythms of life to become rhythms of disciple-making because that is what Christ has called us to do, to make disciples of all nations. And eating is definitely one of these regular rhythms of life. If it isn't, I don't think you'd be here if you didn't eat very often. You know, my parents were born and raised in the Midwest of the United States, and then they moved to the East Coast, Massachusetts, and that's where I came along. And I was raised in the New England area. But my experience of eating was still very Midwestern because we just ate Midwestern food. That was what was common in our home. And, you know, Midwestern food is meat and potatoes, uh, peas and corn and, you know, lots of beans, I guess, and then squash, different types of squash. But my dad also loved the fish in the rivers and the lakes and even the ocean. So we'd often have a lot of freshwater fish, like sunfish and uh, perch and uh, catfish, uh, what they call bullheads, and also uh, what trout. And it was very good. I grew up eating a lot of fish. And then in the saltwater fish, we ate mostly flounder and bluefish. There wasn't a whole lot of ritual in our family meals, but there was this ritual of we always gave thanks first to, before we ate. And no matter who was at home, uh, when the meal was ready, we would all come together and we'd sit around the table together as a family and we'd eat. I mean, this, was, this happened all the way up until I left the house. And I was being the youngest, so you know, I just ended up being my mom and I in the end there. Um, so, but it was always eating together. And I loved those more memories I have of our times together as a family, eating and talking and sharing and laughing and playing jokes with one another. My dad was a jokester. And, you know, of course, there's other memories that weren't so great, but it was the fact that I have these memories of us being together. And, you know, I love this part of the Chinese culture, that the meals that we eat together as Asians are, in a sense, 
stress the community we have together. There's this sense of community. Think about it. When we eat with other Asians, right, we all order food not for ourselves but to share with each other, right? And even the lazy Susan in the middle is, helps us be able to share the food together more easily. So therefore, we like round tables, right, rather than square tables or rectangular tables. They don't work so well. But we love this sense of community when we eat together. It's, and then the stress on the significance of eating in Asian culture dictates the food that is presented. I mean, it requires a lot of effort to prepare many Chinese dishes, I know, because it's this sense of special, this special community time of when we eat together. I think in American culture, we often spend a lot more time for meals like for anniversaries or Thanksgiving or these special times in the white American culture um, because that's a, more of a sense of community time. But in Chinese culture, it's like every meal is that way. You know, there's a movie May and I love uh, to watch, and it came out about the year we were married, 1994. It's called Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. I, it's older movie, 1994. So... But it was directed by Asian-American Ang Lee. And it's about a family that lives in Taiwan, Taipei, Taiwan. And uh, the family is made up of the dad. The mother has passed away. So it's the dad who's this famous chef in Taiwan and his three adult daughters and their relationships um, as a family. And I wanted us to just get a glimpse or remember this whole part of the culture of the Asian community of this father, there's a clip here of a father, uh, you know, he's a famous chef, so he's preparing a meal for his adult daughters that are going to come and visit him. Go ahead and show the clip.
All right, you can stop there. Uh, it goes on for a little while longer, but uh, those of you who have cooked Chinese food know that this is very much shortening <laughs> the time that we're watching. But um, how many of you are pretty hungry right now? <laughs> I'm like so hungry watching that. Yeah, every culture, though, places significance on eating together in some way. It's unique to that culture. But we're most familiar with the Asian culture and how much emphasis is put into preparation of food because of the significance of eating together as a community. And, and in a sense, the more significant that meal is, the more we prepare for it. It's similar in any culture. And notice then in our text, in Mark chapter 2, that, that this text deals with this issue of eating. It's related to Jesus eating with this group of people. So to give us some background, Mark uh, is the author of this gospel. Actually, he wrote it down, but he actually collected uh, teachings from Peter, and mostly from Peter, the apostle Peter, who he was with. But we also know Mark was with the apostles Paul and Barnabas for a while, as well from the book of Acts. And in Mark chapter 2, where our text falls, Mark is introducing here that the religious leaders of that time were starting to criticize Jesus and um, like challenge him in his teachings and his actions that he has been doing. And so Mark 2 does it. And right before our text, it's the story of, if you remember, when Jesus was in Capernaum and he's in this house and it was really crowded and some, this man is lowered through the roof of this house to get this paralyzed man close to Jesus so he can be healed. And Jesus tells the man when he sees him, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders are like, what? How, how can he say that? Only God can forgive sins. And they're offended. And Jesus knows this. So then he proves to them and everyone that he has the authority on earth to forgive sins by healing this man and having him get right up in front of everybody, pick up his mat, and walk out of that, you know, you can see people partying, so he could walk out of the house amazed. Everybody was amazed that this guy could walk when he was just lowered through the roof, paralyzed. And then in our text, again, Jesus surprises everyone in verses 13 and 14. Let me read those again. So he, meaning Jesus, went out again beside the sea. Capernaum is next to the Sea of Galilee. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, this was a shocker to everyone because Jesus had already caused heads to turn when he invited, in the previous chapter, Mark chapter 1, uh, these, these blue-collar fishermen to follow him. They were not the cream of the crop of society. They were blue-collar fishermen, and he said, come follow me, and they were following him. And now he calls this tax collector, Levi, to follow him. That, that was going way too far. And this is everybody's feeling at this point. See, Levi was also known as Matthew. And uh, we know this because this story is also recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, using the name Matthew instead of Levi. So they're one and the same person. But Matthew, or Levi, must have been a hated, much hated person in that society of Capernaum. And it's because he was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors are never popular 
in any society, right, who likes to have to pay money, <laughs> you know, cough it up. But especially in ancient Israel, they were hated. Um, so they were hated because they were, especially Jewish tax collectors were seen as traitors. Now, like I said, Capernaum was at the very northern shore of the Sea of Galilee in the country of Israel. And so this meant that most likely Matthew collected taxes from fishermen as well. And Peter and Andrew and James and John, whom Jesus had called to follow him as well and were already his followers when he called Matthew, knew probably Matthew because they probably actually had to go and pay taxes to this guy. And so they hated Matthew. They were along with everyone else. And there was this tension within the disciples as well as the townspeople and the religious leaders of why would he call someone like Levi or Matthew to follow him? And, this, and I really encourage you to check out this series called The Chosen because they do a good job of bringing up and trying to show what this tension within Jesus' own followers was like because Matthew was a hated traitor to the Jewish community and Jesus asked him to come follow him. And it's, it's pretty interesting. So I, I'd encourage you to watch that when you can. So Levi was this Jewish tax official in the service of Herod Antipas, who is the Roman ruler of that area of Galilee. So he was a Jewish guy working for the Romans, and the Jews hated the Romans. And so this meant that Matthew was also hated and despised. Now, then Jesus surprised again everyone in the last part of our text that Richard read for us, in verses 15 and 16. It says, And he reclined at the table, at table in his house, meaning Matthew's house, uh, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, and I won't be able to do this as good as Richard, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, the surprise was that Jesus would eat with these traitors, not only Levi, but his friends who were also with traitors. Think about it. If you're a traitor and everybody despises you, who do you hang out with? Well, <laughs> the other despised of the community, right? You become friends, so the other tax collectors. And then sinners. Levi, also known as Matthew, was excited by this honor of being invited by a local rabbi, especially someone like Jesus who does these miracles. And so he, wanted to, he had a party at his home. Now, the fact that he had a party and at his home shows that he probably was pretty well off too, which most tax collectors were. So he invites these, these other tax collectors, his, his assorted friends. And what is meant by sinners here? Right? Uh, we hear that term, we're like, yeah, everybody's a sinner. right? Uh, but what is meant here by sinners? Well, the designation sinners is like a technical term for common people regarded by the Pharisees as those who are unschooled in the law, the Torah, you know, the commands of God. You know, and these were anybody who was considered uh, disobedient or just not knowledgeable in practicing the, and obeying the commands of law, of the law, of the Jewish law given by Moses. So think of the surprise, not only to the Jewish religious leaders, 
And to the townspeople that Jesus is now associating, eating with these tax collectors. But think of the tension and this like bewilderment of Jesus' own disciples. That here they are in Matthew's house with other tax collectors eating along with them. You see, it was expected that you should not associate yourself with people like tax collectors or those who are not very faithfully following the commands of God. You should not even associate with them. And here Jesus was eating with them and was associating with them. That's the surprise. But Jesus' response to this question reveals to us, gives us a glimpse of this new and exciting and freeing truth that is the reason why Jesus came to this world. And in verse 17, Jesus responded saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Wham! Smack! Slap in the face to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. This would have hit them hard. Because what he said there was a very common idiom of the day, right? Those who are sick need a doctor, right? And it makes sense. It's kind of an idiom today, too. <laughs> if you're sick, go see a doctor, right? Because that's where you're going to get some help. But it was, he was referring to it as the reason why he came to earth. It was the purpose of his reason for what he was doing. And naturally, it is the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. But then Jesus said at the end of that, what did he say? He said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So first, Jesus implied that he is like a doctor, come to help those who are sick. But did you catch what he said? He said, I came. He stressed that he himself came. And usually those who are sick go to the doctor, right? That's what we do. I'm sick, I go to the doctor. But here Jesus says, I came, meaning he is like a doctor doing a house call. He is going to those who know they are sick. They are not coming to him. He is, he is going to them that know they are sick uh, and in need of God's mercy. You know, he did not come for those who think they are healthy, and in no need of God's mercy, he came to save the sinners, not the healthy. So he's speaking directly to the Pharisees that think they're not sick, they don't need a doctor, they're righteous, they're not sinners, and they intentionally forget the scripture that they should have known, probably had memorized in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. And the Apostle Paul takes this concept, and he puts it down into a fewer words in Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Pharisees were the healthy who didn't think they needed to be sick. And Jesus said, I'm not coming for you. I'm coming to heal those who know they're sick who know they're unrighteous. And the Pharisees had forgotten this truth and instead believed that they could actually earn righteousness before God by obeying his commands, and then it's like he was obligated to save them. And that's not how it worked. 
But Jesus was pointing to himself as the one who could help sinners. This is so key for us to understand, and this is why Jesus ate with Levi and his assorted friends. It's the primary purpose. He was there in the home eating with them. They, and is, here, here's the important truth is that Jesus ate with Levi and his friends not so that he could know them. He was God. He already knew them. It's so that they could know him. That's the reason why he ate with sinners and tax collectors. You know, eating is a rhythm of life in which we can worship Jesus and know Jesus and point people to the living Lord, Jesus. So Jesus himself, we see this ongoing. It's a theme that runs through Scripture, that God uses eating as a way of reminding us of who he is and his greatness and what he has done. Jesus ordained this way of eating uh, in a way to remind us of him in Luke twenty-two nineteen. It says there, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, sound familiar? He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this was part of the Passover meal that he was having with his disciples, and so he was transforming the original meaning of the Passover to be a way to remember what he was going to do, and that was to sacrifice himself for the world, for all of mankind. In a sense, he was the salvation that Israelites were waiting for. He was the Messiah and is the Messiah. You know, if you think from the very beginning of Scripture to the end, and how many stories deal with eating in some way? Quite a few. The very first act of rebellion against God was in the context of eating. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit and basically rebelled against God's command. But God in his grace, then we see in the scriptures, uses this act of eating and to remind us of his grace and his goodness and his glory that he continues to do and show to mankind. The Passover meal, he instituted this for the Israelites to have them remember every year his grace of forgiveness to them as a people and his saving of them from slavery in Egypt. And this was to remind them over and over again every year of his glory and give him praise. So it was an act of worship for them to do this Passover meal every year. And then God provided, as they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, he provided manna every single day, except for the Sabbath days, and that was the act of eating, and they'd be remembering that this food came from the Lord God. It was a miracle. Every day, they'd go out and gather this bread from heaven. Forty years of this. Jump forward to Jesus. I'm skipping a lot here. In the New Testament, what did Jesus do as well? He miraculously fed two times, one group of over 5,000 people, and then another time, a group of 4,000 people, over 4,000 people. And then soon related after that, in John chapter 6, listen to what Jesus said about himself. He said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread 
is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And this is why communion or the Lord's Supper is so important for us as followers of Jesus to continue to eat and practice and observe because it is us saying we are aligned, we are in allegiance with Jesus, the Lord, Savior, the Messiah. We, and, and we remember his sacrifice and redemption for all mankind when we eat of this special meal. And we rejoice in the forgiveness of our sin by the grace of God in Jesus Christ and what he has done. Now, similarly, every meal for us is an opportunity to remember and give thanks that God has graciously given you and me the resources to eat the food we're about to eat. It is only through him that we can have this provided to us. He arranges everything in our life. He is sovereign. He is, his providence rules everything. And so mealtimes are opportunities for us to invite others to join with us, to eat and then listen to them. And when opportunity comes up to share the Lord Jesus whom we follow, because it's just part of who we are. So the act of giving thanks to God alone points people to Jesus. When we give thanks for the food before we eat, it's a testimony to the Lord Jesus. Me and I have some good friends, uh, very good friends that are not yet believers in Christ. And what's interesting is they have become so familiar. We've eaten with them many times. But even when we get, have a meal over at their home, they're not followers of Jesus at all. Um, but before we sit down, it's so funny. Sometimes like one of them will start to eat and then they'll look up at us and go, oh, well, yeah, wait, wait. Um, you you want to pray before you eat? And so we will all sit there for a minute and pray to Jesus, thanking him for the food. And it's just because they know how important it is for us. And so they're learning about Jesus in some way just by eating with us as their friends. Hospitality, inviting people into the home for a meal, was a huge part of ancient Israel uh, and ancient Middle East time. And it still is a big part in many cultures. And the author of Hebrews even commands the followers of Jesus saying this, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. I stress this because something unseen happens with us when we eat together. It's a very special time with each other when we're actually eating because our common need is met with common provision. And the meal creates this experience of unity, of oneness around the table when we're eating. And this is why, you know, often business deals are done around a meal or why communication, conversation flows easier when we're sitting around a table with food or have a drink in our hands, right? We can easily, it seems, talk more than just standing there empty-handed and, <laughs> you know, looking at each other. It's, it's just the way it is. And we do not need... A, to add this new rhythm in our lives, brothers and sisters, to make disciples. We only need to take the rhythms that already exist and then intentionally use them and have the Lord redeem them to make disciples for his kingdom. Like listening and eating. And we'll get to the others coming up. So to transform our times of eating 
really requires us to be intentional about the purpose of that meal and invite someone to eat with us to listen to them, to understand them. And then when opportunity arises, to share the love and message of Christ Jesus with them in this context of relationship and the need that they have just voiced. You know, just imagine with me, each of us in Cornerstone, each of us think about someone we can have a meal with, at least eat with somebody who does not yet know Jesus once every other week. So once, at least once every 14 days. If all of us, and there's about 70 of us in this congregation, so if all of us were to do that for the next 12 months, once every other week to just have a meal with somebody, it could be the same person every other week, right? But just to have a meal with someone who's not yet a believer intentionally, then we would have, I figured out, 1,820 meals with people who are not yet believers. And, and that would mean that over the next 12 months, we would have 1,820 opportunities for people to know us and the Lord Jesus whom we follow. And this also means that we would have 1,820 opportunities to listen to people, to learn about their hearts, their stories, their fears, their concerns, and their questions of life. And for them as well, it's a two-way to learn about our hearts and our stories and our fears and concerns and whom we follow, being the Lord Jesus and the hope we have in Him. You know, as a congregation, we will have 1,820 opportunities then to find a person of peace who's someone who is, seems interested when they hear this aspect of our life, and they seem to be wanting to know more. They could be a person of peace, meaning someone interested in Jesus and knowing more about him. Just giving thanks before a meal is a testimony pointing to Jesus. Intentionally eating with others who are not yet believers and practicing hospitality by either inviting people into our home to have a meal or taking someone out and treating them to a meal are all parts of how we can intentionally use this eating rhythm in our life as a rhythm of disciple-making. Because Jesus has blessed us to bless others in his name and for his glory. And this blessing is these rhythms is to begin with prayer, to listen, to eat, serve, and story. And next week, we'll get into the, I, this rhythm of serving. Well, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for the challenge that you make to us, but yet, Lord, you challenge us knowing that when we obey you, we experience abundant life like nothing else we can ever experience trying to do the things we do entertaining ourselves or going on great vacations or whatever. All these are good things, but Lord, there's nothing like following you in everything we do. Lord, help us through this, your word and your spirit within us to learn how to share about you in the everyday stuff of life rather than seeing that as something we got to add in and squish in with everything else we got to do. 
Lord, transform us into your church, your body on earth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.